You may be seated. I love Father's Day. As, in the, as I was thinking about the list of topics that we usually cover on Father's Day, and, and they're, they're generally wrapped around this incredible privilege that God extends to dads to be a shepherd and leader for the family. So I, I thought about the topics we generally cover. I, it, it occurred to me that there's one that we often leave out. We typically don't associate this particular discipline with fatherhood. And I, I don't know if it's because we just assume that moms are better at this than dads or or even worse, I would say, that we just assume dads aren't going to do this anyway, so there's not really any reason to talk about. But, but whatever the reason we leave it out, I just want you to know that it's negligence. Because the truth is, if this particular discipline is left out of any home, is left out of any community... And if it's left out of the father's leadership portfolio, it is a detriment to the entire family. As a matter of fact, to omit this particular discipline is to significantly limit God's work in the home. So what is this particular discipline? It's prayer. Prayer. We don't talk about it on Father's Day. We usually talk about it on Mother's Day. Is it because we just don't expect dads to pray? Now hear me clearly. The practice of prayer is not the sole responsibility of one parent or another. It is the responsibility of both parents to be fully engaged in praying for their home, for their marriage, for their children, for their community. Prayer is a tangible expression of faith. Now, I want to say that again because we need to understand this. If we believe we pray, we understand that we're praying to a God who responds to our entreaty. So it is an expression of faith as well as a declaration of our dependence upon God to help us do what we can't do alone. And if we're talking about children, that is to bring them up in the way they should go. Now, I'm talking about this today in hopes of awakening a desire and a determination in your hearts to pray. Not just for dads, but for every believer in Jesus, because we recognize it is an expression of our faith. But I especially want to call dads to this incredible ministry because to neglect this mysterious yet powerful tool that God has placed in our toolbox is an abdication of our responsibility for our families. Now, as you know, we are this summer studying the parables of Jesus. And, and there is a parable that Jesus told, not only to encourage us to pray, but it also informs us about how to do it effectively. And I, that's the good part, right? 
Because don't you wonder sometimes if your prayers are really making a difference? Jesus, in this story, is talking to his disciples, but since it is preserved in God's Word, we can rest assured that this message is for all of us, for every child of God who understands that we are called by Christ to the family of God, we need to hear this word. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along today, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 11. You can look it up on your phone or whatever. The words will also be on the screen. Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, you're going to recognize right away that this is Jesus teaching uh, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. But in the book of Luke, it is abbreviated somewhat. He kind of gets right down to the nuts and bolts of it all. And then he tells this incredible story and gives us a little more truth that we can lean into as we consider this ministry of prayer. So I'm going to begin reading in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, by the way, the disciples who were called to be with Jesus were always where Jesus was. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, let me tell you a story. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would grace us with eyes to see and ears to hear what your Spirit has to say to us today and give us the courage to respond 
and align ourselves with your plan for prayer. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now Jesus' disciples, with him wherever he went, watched him pray. And what they saw intrigued them. Because Jesus did it differently than anyone they had ever seen. And whatever he was doing worked. It, he clearly connected with the Heavenly Father. And his prayers obviously made a tremendous difference in his life. Now think about this and think about your prayer lives. His prayer made a tremendous difference in his life and the lives of those he touched. So the disciples wisely wanted a tutorial. They said, if we're going to pray, we ought to be able to pray effectively. And Jesus was all too happy to give them one. Now, did you notice how he began his instruction? He didn't say, if you pray, pray like this. He said, when you pray. You know why he said when? Not in the off chance that you choose to pray, but because his expectation was that those who follow him are praying. Jesus believed his disciples would pray because they were to do what he did. They were men who had committed themselves to following him, and if we are people who have committed ourselves to following him, then we pray. And right away, he gave them the purpose of prayer. If you've ever wondered, what, what, what are we supposed to accomplish? What's the idea? Jesus reveals the purpose in verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, something only a child can call him. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Okay, so that's the purpose. What, what does that mean? It means that prayer is communication with the Heavenly Father that is designed, the prayers are designed to hallow God's name and to expand His kingdom. That's what prayer is about. In other words, when we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, we are orienting ourselves around the dual purposes of glorifying God and spreading His will. Creating an environment where people recognize that God is present. Now what does that mean? It means we're asking God to do things for which He will receive glory, not us. We're asking God to do things for which he will receive glory, and through which heaven will come to earth. That's the purpose of prayer. Things that glorify God and things that bring heaven to earth. And after stating that purpose, Jesus went on to reveal the kinds of prayers that accomplish that purpose. First, he said, pray for daily bread. Why? Because God is glorified when the needs of his children are met and they thank him. 
So pray for daily bread. He also said pray for forgiveness. Not only that we would receive forgiveness from God, which we all need, but that we would be people who extend forgiveness to others. Why? Because nothing says God is here like the sweet aroma of grace. And forgiveness is always grace. And then he says pray that God will protect... You'll hear God's protective voice when tempted. Why? Because God's wisdom glorifies God's reliable plan for righteous living. So as followers of Jesus, we should be able to step out of, around, or away from temptation, and by doing so, we bring honor and glory to the one who's guiding us. Those are the things that Jesus taught us to pray for in the interest of hallowing God's name and advancing His kingdom. So, we can safely assume that if we are praying as Jesus taught us to pray, we are praying God's will and God is stirred to answer. Why did God answer Jesus' prayer? Because Jesus was praying God's will. He was stirred to answer. Now, after giving them the fundamentals, Jesus says, it's time for a story. Now, a a parable, as we talked about last week, is a story that everyone there could understand, something they could relate to, that in this case would give them a, a passion for the things about which they should be praying. That's the purpose of this story. Jesus is stirring up passion for his disciples, not only to choose to pray, but to choose to commit to prayer making it a lifestyle. Now listen to this story that Jesus tells beginning in verse 8. This is the parable. I mean, verse 5. Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three... Midnight, midnight. Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey... He's come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus said, Even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship, yet, because of your shameless audacity, He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. As much as you need. Now, as with all parables, this is a scenario that Jesus' audience could easily envision. This is something they understood. It seems kind of strange to us, but it was part of their culture. See, in their culture, traveling Jews would always expect to be welcomed into the home of other Jews. That's the way they did hospitality. And so the unexpected pop-in was a constant level occurrence, and when you received a visitor, you were expected to offer them both room and board. But it didn't stop there. In their honor and shame culture, the hospitality extended to the traveler reflected the hospitality of the entire community. Now, this is really important to understand. 
The hospitality extended to the traveling Jew reflected the entire community. It was, it was, if it was good, the entire community got five stars. Okay? If it was wanting, then their reputation was sullied. Not just the reputation of the person who had them in their home, but the reputation of the entire community. So in their minds, the one receiving the visitor was just simply a representative of the entire group. And if they couldn't fully meet the needs of the traveler, if they couldn't offer both room and board, then they could expect that their friends and neighbors would step up and help them because they were all in this together. The name, the good hallowed name of their town was at stake. Now in Jesus' story here, the representative was in a really tight spot because while he had room to offer the travelers, he didn't have any bread. So he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He went next door to his neighbor, to his friend's house, knocked on the door and asked for food. But it was really late. They went to bed when the sun went down. It was midnight. And the neighbor had gotten finally gotten his kids to sleep. You know how that works, right? And he said, look, I can't help you. Because if I get up right now and start clanging around in the kitchen, I'm going to wake all these kids up, and it's going to make for a very, very long night. So the sleeping friend told the seeking friend to go away, get lost. But the man without the bread knew he was right. He was doing what was right. The hallowed name of the village was at stake. So he wasn't going to be denied. And Jesus said with shameless audacity, he held his ground and eventually got what he needed. Now remember, this is a story about prayer. It's about prayer. Jesus is communicating the spiritual truth that when we pray for what is right, for God's name to be hallowed and for His kingdom to come, when we are committed to those dual purposes, we should pray with shameless audacity. So, what is that? What, what, What does that mean? Well, Jesus anticipates that question and answers it even before it's asked. Look at verses 9 and 10. This is his explanation of shameless audacity. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, let's just admit that we're really familiar with that statement, right? We know it's in the Sermon on the Mount. We know it's right here in Luke chapter 11. Almost any time we talk about prayer, we talk about asking, seeking, and knocking, and we we get that. Here's what we need to remember. 
If you've heard this, good, but bring it to the front of your mind. Our English translations lose something from the Greek that is so important to understanding what Jesus is saying. It's a tense issue. It looks like Jesus says, just ask, just seek, just knock, move on. But in all actuality, that text says, ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking. That's shameless audacity. It is a frantic desperation of a whirlwind of prayerful activity. I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, I'm not going to stop. Because this is so important. Right now, Nothing else matters. So in in the past couple of months, I've actually seen this shameless audacity scenario play out in my neighborhood over COVID. Uh, I think I went crazy with most everybody else, and uh, that manifests itself in the purchase of a puppy. Okay, and we, we got a puppy, and so since we got a puppy, and she's great now, since we got a puppy, we spent a lot more time outside. And that, that changed things for us because we used to just look out the windows and see all the other people with dogs passing by. But now we're those, one of those people, right? And so we know our neighbors. We've, we've got the scoop on what's going on in the neighborhood. And twice in the past two months, I have encountered two separate families who lost their cat. Now, I'm not here to offer commentary on what kind of pet you own, but I'm a dog guy. But I understand being connected with your pet. And so these these people had lost their animals. And I can say with certainty they were doing whatever they could, as they should have, to find their pets. They were shamelessly asking, seeking, and knocking. Everyone they saw, everywhere they went, they were committed to finding their cats. One family found theirs very quickly, and the other one, it was more than two weeks. And they were putting signs up with their telephone number. They were knocking on doors. I saw them out one night about 11 or 12 o'clock at night, shining lights all through the neighborhood in hopes of finding their cat. They were behaving with shameless audacity, which, by the way, was wholly appropriate in that situation. Because they needed to get their pet back. And what Jesus is saying is that must be our mindset in prayer. When we know what hallows God's name and what advances His kingdom, then we must respond to the opportunity to pray with the same shameless audacity with which people search for lost pets. It's the most important thing. Now, we just have to pause and ask the question. Is that how we pray? We 
Would you ever describe your prayer life as a whirlwind of asking, seeking, and knocking? The same way you look for a lost wallet or lost keys, a lost pet, or a lost child? Does it ever take on that level of desperation? Jesus said, this is so important. I'm going to stop right here and tell you a story that should describe your prayer life. You should be so committed to what hallows His name and advances His kingdom that it drives you to step beyond the bounds of polite society, to step out of your inhibitions, and pray with a frantic desperation. Asking, keep on asking. Seeking, keep on seeking. Knocking, keep on knocking. Because this is the way that God breaks through and reveals Himself and His good purpose. It's through your prayer. Jesus isn't finished with the lesson when He finishes the story. There are two more things that we must understand that I think will motivate us to pray with enduring, shameless audacity. Look at verses 11 through 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? None. And, or if he asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Nobody. You don't even have, need to answer that question. So Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, which by the way just means that our hearts are naturally inclined to rebel against God's good plan. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Now first, He reminds them who they are praying to. And we must not forget this. They're praying to the Heavenly Father. And just as all dads desire to provide their children with the good things they need for their well-being, our Heavenly Father desires to provide us with the things we need. And some, listen, and sometimes He does it because we ask. Now, wait a minute. Am I saying that there are times where God doesn't give us what we need if we don't ask? Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. Does that seem strange? Well, let me tell you what the Scripture says. James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, says, 
You have not because you ask not. There are some things that we don't get because we don't ask. And if that seems like a, a foreign idea to the God that we worship, that he would withhold things, I, I, I want you to think about the fact that God honors our free will. Just as, as a parent, I don't always engage in what my children are doing if they don't invite me. I might be watching and think, oh, I know a better way to do that or I've got a better idea. But sometimes, as a parent, you, you want them to figure something out for themselves. You're, you're going to honor their ability to ask. And if they don't ask, you don't join. God takes the same approach. He has taught us about the power of prayer. He has told us that He is continuously available to us if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. He's always there. He's always watching. He's always available. But we're not always asking. And He's not going to jump in and violate our free will. But when we ask, when we choose to ask, God engages. We can count on Him, just like my kids can count on me, to provide the good gifts that we need, those gifts that will hallow His name and expand His kingdom, and move us along in the journey of becoming conformed to the image of Christ. Those are the kinds of prayers God responds to. There's one more important point here that we dare not miss. Jesus says something that, in verse 13, that is at least surprising, or maybe it's just odd. He ends that verse saying, How much more will the heavenly Father, will your Father in heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, if you followed the text, verses 1 through 13, this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit. Why did He suddenly start talking about the Holy Spirit? We were talking about daily bread and forgiveness and staying out of temptation and hallowing His name and his kingdom coming. Why the Holy Spirit now? Because listen, this is what Jesus is saying. God, in response to purposeful prayer, gives us the gift of Himself. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so when we're praying for God to do things that hallow His name and advance His kingdom, you know what He does? He shows up. He might not always answer the prayer as we want Him to answer it. It might not always be exactly what we're asking for. But when God is with us, who or what can be against us? 
when God is with those that we pray for, who or what can be against us? And when we're praying hallowing prayers and kingdom coming prayers, He's with us. So knowing that God wants to respond to these prayers and knowing that He will respond with Himself should provide us with all the motivation that we need to pray with shameless audacity. To understand this is the most important thing that God Himself shows up. So let me ask you a question. Are you praying? I mean, are you praying great prayers? Hallowing prayers? Kingdom expanding prayers? Let me ask a little more personal question. If God's presence in the lives of those you love, those in your sphere of influence, those you do life with, if God's presence in the lives of your children depended upon your prayers, would they even know who God was? audacity. It's the most important thing. It invites God to do what He desperately desires to do. And that is to break in. To reveal Himself. To lead people to trust Him. To follow Jesus to experience the life He created them to live. Prayer. This kind of prayer can make all the difference. Will you bow your heads? And I I just want you just a couple of moments to be honest about your prayer life. The expectation is that we pray. The teaching Jesus is that we pray with shameless audacity, frantically asking, frantically seeking, frantically knocking to get what we need. For God's name to be hallowed and for his kingdom to come.
Father, we're so grateful and humbled by the power that is at our disposal through prayer. Forgive us when we fall woefully short. leveraging that power for your glory for your kingdom and for our families thank you for teaching us to pray now by your spirit Lord I pray that you would lead us to pray Before we wrap up, I want to, I need to go back to one more thing. And I need you to remember that Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. He was teaching people who were following him to pray. And the first word in his prayer was Father. Now the scripture teaches us not that God is the universal Father of all, but that God is the Heavenly Father for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. So all of this begins with faith in Jesus. And so if if you're thinking, wow, I need to pray great prayers, I, I want to I see God move in my life, I, I want you to know it begins with understanding the truth of the gospel, the one who came to set us free so we could move into our Father's house. It begins with understanding that God so loved you that He sent His only Son to die on your behalf for the forgiveness of your sins so that you could have life abundant and life eternal with God in the Father's house. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, there's, that's the most important step. Begins with Him. That's where we die to self, take up our cross, and follow Him. And as we follow Him, we pray. And God responds. Lord, if there are those in this room today or watching online that don't know you, I pray that today would be the day where they trust your love and grace and mercy. Father, open eyes, hearts, and ears to see the truth. Grace us with trusting faith for the forgiveness of sins. And Father, for those of us who walk with you, lead us to pray. In Christ's name I pray.